There are two readings this morning. The first reading is taken from the book of Genesis, reading chapter 23, verses 1 to 20. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Aphron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that it is in. The, in the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Aphron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Aphron, and Abraham weighed out for Aphron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. The second reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, reading chapter 11, verses 8 to 22. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. As he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, 
not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Well, hello again. I hope you enjoyed hearing some Hebrews, a little flashback to last um, term, if you were around, or last year, if you were around. Um, But we're actually going to be in Genesis, so please do turn back to uh, Genesis 23. Um, We read Hebrews because it's a great uh, summary of Abraham's life and a great commentary on this chapter um, that we're about to look at. I realize when we read Genesis 23, you may well have thought, oh dear, what's he going to say about this? Most of the chapter is a transcript of a land negotiation with some Hittites. And you might think, couldn't we have kicked the new year off with something slightly more kind of important, slightly more relevant than that, just some real estate deal? And originally, I actually shared that feeling. When I was looking at this originally in November, I looked at it and thought, oh, I wonder who will be on that week. It was me, it turns out. But actually, as with always with the Bible, the closer we look, the more we discover that actually um, the Bible's not boring. Uh, we're just uh, not yet in tune with what it's saying. And I've become really excited about this passage. I do think it's, it's an amazing, um, uh, it has amazing stuff to tell us. Um, so let me pray for God's help um, that, that I might not get in the way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you for the bits that surprise us, that on first sight, may not seem relevant to today, and then on a closer look, actually are profoundly helpful for us. We pray this morning that you'd help me not to get in the way of Genesis 23. Help us all to have ears to listen and hearts to hear. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm just going to give us uh, our bearings again. Um, Whether you're new to to church this year, or or you've just got that kind of New Year feeling of, I can't remember anything that happened before Christmas. I'm totally disorientated. I don't even know what day of the week it is. Well, let me just recap kind of where we've got to in Genesis. Um, And we are at a kind of key moment uh, in the flow of Genesis. Um, We've just, before Christmas, we finished kind of season one of the real faith lives of Canaan. So season one of Abraham's family, that's what chapters 12 to uh, 22 were all about. So in Genesis, 1 to 11 is the big scale stuff. God created the whole universe, and he created every nation, every person. All humanity rebels against God. Uh, All nations rebel against him. But from Genesis 12 onwards, God has begun a rescue plan, and it's focused on one nation through whom he'll work, one family through whom 
God will work to save the world. So the, the, the cameras have kind of focused in on them. Um, and long before um, rea- reality shows like Meet the Kardashians or The Real Housewives of dot, 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 um, neither of which I've seen uh, and I don't necessarily recommend seeing, but before them, the Bible actually was giving us unparalleled, unvarnished access to a more famous family than any of those. A more important family, actually, and actually a more messy family. We'll discover this term. The original family of faith, Abraham's family. And the thing to realize about the rest of Genesis, kind of 12 to 50, chapters 12 to 50, is that there are three big cycles, or or in our terms, three seasons. We've had season one, the Abraham season. We're about to get into season two, this term, uh, which will be Isaac, Jacob, Esau, and the kind of next generation season. And then the final season is Joseph, at the the back end of the book, um, from 36 onwards. So three seasons. But actually today, we're in a slightly odd point of the book because we're in a kind of intermission. So uh, season one ended with the climax, the season finale, of Isaac nearly being sacrificed in all sorts of ways. That was very clearly the, the, the finish of the Abraham cycle, the, the climax of the story. And it was the moment when it looked like Isaac would have to die And then God provided a substitute sacrifice so that Abraham's son and his family could live and be blessed. It was a picture of the cross, which we're going to celebrate later as we turn to the Lord's Supper. That was the kind of big finish. And just after that, at the end of chapter 22, in the kind of post-credits scene, uh, God gave this huge reaffirmation of his promise. He swore an oath that he would definitely now bless Abraham's family. So the credits roll, and you think, okay, we're ready for season two. Now, season two will start with the theme tune, the the little introductory theme tune. It always happens in Genesis when you have a big new block, which is, these are the generations of. That's the start of each new unit. But we don't get that until chapter five, verse nine. These are the generations of... Chapter five, verse nine... uh, 25, sorry, 25, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. That's the next big season. Real Faith Lives, Next Generation. So we're in a kind of intermission in chapters 23-1 to 25-18, this, this interlude between the two seasons. And at first sight, you might think, yeah, well, what's going on here? I mean, Sarah dies, there's, there's land negotiation. Is this just filler? Was there a writer's strike? Are we needing some breathing room before the next big event? But now, actually, the key to understanding this, this whole intermission, chapters 23 to 25, is to realize it's all about death and God's promises. Death and God's promises. You can see that death looms large over our chapter. It's there in the first two verses. Sarah lived for 127 years. These are the years of the life of Sarah. Verse 2, And Sarah died at Keriath Arba, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. The chapter begins with death. If you look at the end of the chapter, it ends with death. Verse 19, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And actually, all the way through, I said it's a land negotiation, but actually it's it's discussion of funeral arrangements. You get this phrase, a place to bury my dead, a place to bury your dead. Death looms large over chapter 23. 
And if we were to look, we won't turn there, but if we were to look at chapter 25, verses 1 to 18, death looms large there as well. So here Sarah dies and is buried. In chapter 25, Abraham dies and is buried. So it's not just this chapter's kind of overshadowed by death. Actually, this whole section, this intermission, is is bracketed with death. In the middle, which we'll get to next week, is the question of whether the promises will continue to the next generation Isaac, will he find a wife? We'll get to that next week. But, but the point is, in this momentary pause in Genesis, we're tackling the question, which is stronger? Death or God's promises? Which is more certain? Death or God's promises? Which is more lasting? Death or God's promises? At which point, the relevance of this section shouldn't... I shouldn't need to explain it, should I? I mean, death remains humanity's biggest problem and our our most painful heartache. It's one of the deepest sorrows we carry, personally and as a church family. Actually, I think for all the Christmas festivities and celebrations around New Year, I think actually this is a time when death can be more on our hearts and minds than other times. For some of us, because of personal bereavement, that grief might be recent, it might be raw, it might be long ago and just aching, but the empty chairs at Christmas do remind us. And I think the turning of a new year reminds us as well, perhaps reminds us of our own mortality or those we love. And of course, our culture is full of those sentimental platitudes, isn't it? They've just moved to the next room, death is just natural, it's just the circle of life. That doesn't fit the facts at all. It doesn't fit how it feels. It doesn't feel like nothing. And the Bible has it right that death is this horrible, grievous incursion into this world and God's good creation. A distortion of the original plan for life. A sign that something is deeply wrong. And so chapter 23 plunges us into exactly that note of grief. This is actually the second time, only the second time in verse 2, second time in the Bible so far that we hear someone weeping. The other time was Hagar when she was in the desert with her son Ishmael, and she was crying, let me not look on the death of the boy. God rescued him. But now Abraham, or Sarah, does die. And so verse 2, he went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. We've got three points this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to work through the passage in three points and then, and then turn at the end to ask some practical application questions. Um, but first off, this is our first point. Death is humanity's great problem and great grief. Humanity's great problem and great grief is death. I think we are supposed to feel the personal tragedy of this. We're not just told that Sarah died, we're told that Abraham wept for her. He really did love her. He didn't always treat her rightly, he made a lot of mistakes, but actually he loved her. And the fact that they'd have many years together, well, that doesn't make it easier, does it? It just makes the hole bigger in his heart and his life. You don't need to tell me that. Sorry, you don't need me to tell you that. That grief is horrible whenever it and however it comes. Actually, as well as that personal grief, 
I think hearing of death again here in Genesis reminds us actually of the big problem overshadowing humanity in this book. We might actually have kind of forgotten the events early in Genesis. We've been so zoomed in on these real faith lives of Canaan, uh, Abraham and his family. We might have forgotten the big problem at the start of the book where humanity turned against God and God punished humanity with the curse that as we came from dust, so we would return to dust. We might have forgotten chapter 5, which had this big kind of roll call of mortality, this list of names that said, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. See, one of the things we learn early on in the book about the, the human family tree is that every branch is dying. But since chapter 12, there was hope in one branch, the family of Abraham, the family of promise, a place where God said he would bring blessing and not curse. He would bring friendship with God, not hostility. He'd bring protection. But now, it turns out, death reigns even on Abraham's branch and family. It's all very well having great plans, plans for a great nation, for great blessing, great relationship with God, for decades with grandchildren, for great retirement with the spouse. But actually, death interrupts, doesn't it? Seems to put a stop to those things we live for and hope for, those goals, those dreams. I said earlier that New Year can bring this kind of freshly to our minds. Um, I actually had a moment like this. You may think this is a bit uh, kind of absurd that I was thinking this, but around New Year, I was tackling piles of paper in my office, and they'd accumulated over multiple years. It was a lot of paper. Never been properly filed. And so I was kind of, I was doing this paper, paper kind of archaeology, uh, layer upon layer, and, and I was bounced along memory lane. Uh, and what struck me was um, just how quickly the years turn. And even now, you may think I'm not that old, but even now I, I know my strength is not what it was a decade ago and it won't be what it will be. In a, it, it, it won't be in a decade even what it is now. And I had these thoughts of kind of, am I, am I spending my time and energy on the right things? Is this what I expected life to look like? Am I doing things with my life that will actually last? Many would testify that coming close to death, whether their own or, or that of a loved one or friend, can, can give a kind of perspective on life, a, a greater clarity about what actually matters and what doesn't. And with Abraham here, it does seem like his, his faith is brought into sharp relief in the face of death. This is our second point. So we've seen death is humanity's great problem and great grief. Our second point is this. Abraham models true faith. Faith which trusts God will provide his promised place in the future, despite even death. That's a mouthful, sorry. I'll say it again. Abraham models true faith. And what is true faith? Well, it trusts God to provide his promised place in the future, despite even death. We've seen true faith is not glib or detached. Abraham really mourns. He really weeps. He misses Sarah terribly. But nevertheless, Abraham trusts that God's promises are still on track. God will still deliver the promised place in the future. 
Or in other words, death is not the end of God's plan to give his people a home. Death is not stronger than God's promises, not more lasting than God's promises, not actually ultimately more certain than God's promises. Now, why am I making a big deal of the promised place here? Well, this is what all the land negotiations are about. The reason we're listening in to this kind of real estate conversation is because it's all about a a, a burial plot for Sarah in the promised land, the land that God had promised. Abraham is absolutely determined that her grave will be in Canaan. And we are supposed to notice that. Um, Just look again with me at verse 2. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Or look at the end of the passage, verse 19. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron. And we already know where Hebron is. We were told at the start of the chapter, but here we are, told again, in the land of Canaan, so that we notice it. In the land of Canaan. That's where Abraham is determined Sarah will be buried. And actually, the particular field uh, uh, in Machpelah, it's near Mamre, where Abraham was given promises by God. It's where God visited to confirm the promises. See, Abraham here, he's not choosing a burial place based on what's easiest or cheapest or simplest. No, in this moment of grief, he's putting all his weight, his trust, on God's promises. Now, at this stage, Abraham is not getting the whole land. It's just one field and one cave. It's not the whole package. God's promised the whole land of Canaan. But it is a really significant moment. The first time he kind of plants his flag permanently in this land. Just as God had promised as many offspring as the stars, but currently we have one boy, Isaac, one heir, Well, likewise here, he's promised the whole land, but currently we have one field. It is a really significant step forward. Now, at this point, we might have questions in our mind. Well, like, hang on, how's that going to apply to us? And all this talk of the land, like, how does that apply today? Like, are we talking about a patch of territory in the Middle East? Well, let's just wait on those questions, because there's one more thing to notice about the passage before we turn to today. And this is point three. So we've seen Abraham modeling true faith. We've seen him trusting God will provide the promised place, despite even death. Um, But there's one more thing to notice, which is that this promised place will be the permanent possession of Abraham and his family. So when you get into the details of this discussion with the Hittites, you notice something's going on. Abraham is asking to own a piece of land, And they're offering to lend a piece of land or a place in one of their graves. Let's just follow through and you can see that. Um, So uh, let's start with verse um, uh, 3 and 4. Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, verse 4, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property. There it is, key word. Give me property, something I own, a possession, among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. I want to... Own a patch of the land, Abraham's saying. Not as an investment or whatever, but as a marker of God's land of promise. I want to stick our family flag there permanently. But listen to what the Hittites come back with, verse 5. I mean, they're very polite, but they're not giving him what he wants. Verse 5, the Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, Lord, you're a prince among us, prince of God among us. 
bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham, you don't need to purchase a bit of land. You can share ours. No need to to transfer ownership. We'll, We'll let you use our burial plots. Have a loan from us. Abraham isn't budging. Verses 8 to 9, he gets more specific. If you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machmir, which he owns. It's at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property, there's the key word again, for a burying place. I don't actually want to temporarily loan it. I want to permanently own it, says Abraham. So negotiations begin. It goes back and forth. Ephron tries the same thing. No, 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 no. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. And then eventually Abraham says, no, I will pay for it. And so verses 17 and 18. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession or property in the presence of the Hittites before all who went into the gate of his city. Abraham wanted permanent possession. And after a bit of toing and froing, he did get it. Now, why all that detail? Why do we hear all of that? Well, because the promise of God was about permanent possession of this land. Just have a look. I've put a quote on the handout um, on the back. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 8. Let me just read um, this. This is the only other time so far in the Bible this word property or possession has been used. Verse 8, I'll give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession or property, and I'll be their God. I'll give it to you, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting property. That is the promise that Abraham is holding on to, even in his grief over Sarah. Permanently, I will give you my place, a home, not shared ownership, not on loan from someone else. And so Abraham puts his weight on that promise. I'm going to buy a plot of that land, trusting, trusting God's promise. Now at this point, if we had a few questions about, hang on, how does this apply today? They might be really big questions now, really loud questions. I mean, how does that apply today? Well, I think there are three really important questions to grapple with. Um, it's passages like this and chapter 17. It's worth saying this is why a number of Bible readers, uh, including Jewish Bible readers and some Christian Bible readers, do come to the conclusion that the, the physical descendants of Abraham, so the Jewish ethnic Jews, um, have a permanent claim on that particular patch of territory. And that's, this is where they get it from. But actually, I think that um, uses a number of assumptions that aren't what Genesis and the rest of the Bible teaches. So we need to think carefully here as we come to apply this passage. And please stay with me as I go through these um, things. These are massive issues and may well be areas where we want to ask questions afterwards or at the next question time. So feel free to um, grab me afterwards or or ask questions. I'm just going to tackle three things in, in kind of outline form. To understand how this promise applies to us today, we need to ask three things. Number one, who are Abraham's true offspring? So the promise there in chapter 17 was, I'll give to you, all, to you and your offspring 
all the land of Canaan as a permanent possession? Who are the offspring? Question number two, what is this land? What is Abraham's true inheritance? What does Genesis and the Bible say about that? Um, And then thirdly, is this passage pointing to life after death? We'll get to that. So who are the offspring? What is the land? And is this pointing to life after death? Firstly, who are Abraham's true offspring? Well, this challenges what many people say, even sometimes inside churches. But I think the Bible is very clear that Abraham's offspring, the heirs of the promise to Abraham, are not defined by bloodlines or ethnicity, but by faith, those who have faith in Abraham. Specifically, faith in Jesus Christ, the true offspring of Abraham. So I put a verse on the sheet for you. If you're Christ's, this is Galatians 3.29, if you're Christ's, then you, have a, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And the flip side is true too. Uh, one of the things actually that got Jesus killed was suggesting that true sons of Abraham would have faith in him. He says in John, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who's told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. So those who have faith in Jesus are true sons of Abraham in the sense of inheriting God's promises. Okay, that's the first question. And that actually is not a big change of track. It's not that the New Testament comes along and changes the rules or Jesus teaches something we never could have seen earlier on. No, Genesis itself makes that clear. Remember chapter 17? A couple of months ago, so probably, you probably don't. But chapter 17, the very place this promise comes from, the everlasting possession of, of um, God's promised place, that chapter said not all blood sons of Abraham are inheritors of the promise. Isaac and Ishmael, both sons of Abraham, both circumcised. Actually, Isaac, through Isaac, God's promises were named. So that's the first answer. Who are Abraham's offspring? Or those who trust Jesus? At which point, the second question, the land question, becomes even more important, doesn't it? I mean, what, what am I about to say here? That, that Christians have some right to the promised land as a permanent possession. Is this just another kind of claim on that hugely contested part of the globe, the actual physical territory? Well, no, first off. Although a bit yes, and I'll explain. First off, no, because as the Bible continues, it becomes very clear Abraham's inheritance is much more than the land of Canaan. This particular land was the first fruits of the inheritance promised to him and his family. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 4, if you were around back then. Hebrews chapter 4, God said there must be a bigger rest than the one Joshua secured, the land of Canaan. God has a bigger rest in store, a bigger promised land than just that land. Or Romans 4, which I've put on the sheet, which I think puts it very, very clearly. Look at Romans 4, which is looking back to these chapters of Genesis. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. And he carries on, came by faith, not by law. Notice he says there, not the promise that Abraham would be heir of the land, but heir of the world, the whole world. It's why the king of Israel in Psalm 2, is told this, Ask of me, says God, and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your 
property, possession. This word, that's one of the only other times the Bible, Old Testament uses this word, property, possession. The king of Israel was to inherit all the nations, the ends of the earth. So actually Canaan or the land of Israel is too small a description for the inheritance that God's people will get. People in Abraham's family, that is, believers in Jesus from both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds, he's literally promised the earth, not to conquer now, of course, but to receive as a gift from Jesus when he returns. As Jesus said to his followers, the meek shall inherit, not the land, but the earth. Again, that's not an alien idea to Genesis. It's not this is suddenly going a different direction when you get to the New Testament. No, the plan right from Genesis 1 was to fill the earth with image bearers, people who worshipped God and ruled the world. Canaan, therefore, was only ever going to be the first step, the first step to this great project of filling the earth with the knowledge of God again. Abraham and his family are due to inherit the earth. And true faith, when it comes up against death, whether our own or those we love, trusts that God meant it. When God said, I will give you a home, a permanent home, a place where you and I can live forever in safety, I mean it. Not just that land, but the whole new heavens and earth, which includes Canaan and much more. All of which brings me to my final question for application. Is there hope of life beyond death being taught here? The Bible definitely teaches that. I mean, we heard Adam say, Jesus say, I am the resurrection of the li- and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live. Jesus made it really clear. Other bits of the Old Testament make it really clear. Isaiah, Daniel, very clear. But is it even being hinted at or trailered here? I've come to believe yes. Surprisingly, perhaps. I've come to believe yes. You see, when Abraham spent money to plant his flag, this this family tomb, to bury Sarah right in the land, I don't think he was just doing it to say, well, this will be good for our grandchildren because they'll be able to remember God's promise. It'll be good for them. No, I think this is the beginning of trust that actually Sarah will have a future and Abraham will have a future beyond the grave. If that feels like a leap, let me just explain where I'm getting it from. Look at that promise again. uh, The chapter 17, verse 8 promise. I've put it on the sheet. It's so important. I will give to you... And to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. Not I'll give to them, your offspring, but I'll give to you and them. More than that, what's the lesson God has been teaching Abraham over the last few chapters? Again, it's pre-Christmas, so we probably can't remember. Uh, the lesson was that even if your body is as good as dead... Even if Sarah's body is as good as dead, even if her womb is lifeless and unable to to have a child, I am the God who can overcome age and death. And so Isaac was born. 
from the Hebrews passage, what was Abraham trusting when he, in the last chapter when he took Isaac to, to near sacrifice him, thought he was going to sacrifice him? He was trusting God can raise the dead. Even if Isaac dies, God will bring him back. Has to, because God's promises are stronger than death. More certain, more lasting, even than death. And then we get a chapter about death, where he's determined that Sarah would be in the land when she's buried. And it's not just Abraham and Sarah. Actually, the next generations of the family will keep saying, I want to be buried there, in the land. Even Joseph, who's in Egypt, says, you need to take my bones back. I want to be buried there, in the land. Why? Well, because God's promises are stronger than death. God has promised a land, not just to some distant descendants of Abraham, but to Abraham himself and Sarah and Joseph and Isaac and Jacob. When Jesus was asked um, or kind of told by the Sadducees that there can't be any resurrection, that's a ridiculous idea. He said, you're quite wrong. You don't understand the power of God and you haven't read the scriptures. And the scriptures he turned to Genesis and Exodus. I am the God of Abraham. He's the God of the living, not the dead. You're quite wrong. So here we are, 2024. Some of us have death on our minds acutely, in that raw, painful, weeping kind of way. Some of us just have it in the background, the turn of a new year, Am I spending my life on things that last? Am I, am I doing what I wanted with my life? Am I investing in the right places? Genesis 23 says, whatever your current circumstances, whether this is the life you imagined or not, and, and Sarah and Abraham actually had a pretty tough life. No permanent home, traveling around. Sarah in particular went through some awful ordeals. A pretty grim life in lots of ways. But Abraham was sure God would keep his promise, that God would provide them a permanent home, just as he'd said. And he was still sure of that, not just on the way to death, but even when death struck. And actually, he was willing to invest in that. He he um, hadn't put roots down in the culture around him. He was a sojourner and a foreigner in lots of ways. He lived like an exile, like we Christians do, like one Peter calls us. But actually, he put resources into this, God's promise. He was so sure this was going to happen, that this was where he spent his time and his energy. And so as we start another new year of church life, if we are giving ourselves to the promises of God... The promise that one day Jesus will bring a new creation. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're not just looking back to his death in our place, like Isaac and that substitute lamb. We're also looking forward to when he returns to give us this promised home. I go to prepare a place for you, he said. And so if we invest this year our energies our time, our resources, our efforts, our prayers, if we invest our energies in trusting in that day and in bearing witness to that day 
and personally and as a church family, in, in gospel partnership, in giving, in serving, in witnessing, we are investing in the one thing that death can't overpower or interrupt, not permanently. Let me pray. Hebrews 11 puts it like this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. Our Father in heaven, as we reflect on this extraordinary truth that even death can't stop your promises, that you will provide us a permanent home in your new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns. We pray that that would bring comfort to those who are mourning. We pray it would bring hope to those who despair of life circumstances at the moment. We pray for all of us that you give us faith, faith like Abraham, to live not by what we see, but by what you say. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.